in a lot of ways this week, wishing to continue feels like a really big stretch. The depth of the divide in this nation has been completely and undeniably exposed. And like many of you, I'm struggling to find words that might inspire. I'm gonna be leaning pretty heavily on other people's words today. Saying the obvious words of my own makes me feel like a character in a dystopian novel. There was a coup attempt at our nation's capital this week. While the members of our Congress were carrying out the certification of the electoral college vote for the presidential election, people incited by the outgoing president tried to stop this foundational process of our democracy. This is something I had prepared myself for on the outside, at least. I've actually had the difficult conversations that I've had to, to prepare for the possibility of declared civil war. And I feel both sheepish and relieved to say those words out loud and to have done so. I know who's on my side and where to go for relative safety in the event that our lives do actually turn fully into that dystopian novel. And here at Reeb, we've had initial conversations about what our people and our building can offer our community in the event of protests or violence in our city. I've been thinking about this. And yet, I still carry a bit of disbelief that our president actually provoked a violent takeover of our capital, a direct attempt to destroy our democracy by inciting people to try to stop the ballot count that would confirm his opponent's win of the office he is holding. Insurrection. And if that weren't enough, right? The domination of the news by the coup attempt served to draw attention away from the fact that COVID-19 claimed nearly 8,000 lives on Wednesday and Thursday of this past week. Record daily highs that brought the death toll in the US to more than 363,000 people. And beyond the rest of the horrors of the coup attempt, it was also probably a super spreader event. My friends, I'm sad and mad and tired with you. Part of me wants to say, how on earth did we get here? But really, that would be kidding myself. I have some ideas of how we got here. It's been a long, slow journey of increasing attachment to disparate points of view that began with the fundamentally broken process of colonialism. When people who occupy a land are uprooted and slaughtered to make room for invaders who believe they're doing the work of God, how can that possibly turn into a peaceful and equitable society? Throughout our nation's history, there have always been people who could see the wrongs perpetuated by the dominant culture and pushing back. The folks in the dominant culture have come to see themselves now as victims as the pushing back has become stronger and stronger until they fear they will no longer be dominant. And they turn to denial and to lies and to even more power grabbing. And here we are. I 
I did a lot of internet search, search, searching, scrolling in the last couple of days, and I found lots and lots of interviews and lots and lots of viewpoints. I was really interested to find that National Public Radio interviewed a couple of Trump supporters after the coup attempt who had participated and found a and, and some of whom had not. And they found a wide range of opinions from people who felt so much righteous anger that they believe that the actions of both Trump and the rioters are justified to people who see that Trump incited the violence and say he went too far. A gentleman named Jeffrey Stroman was one of the people interviewed whose point of view I was particularly taken by. He traveled from central Pennsylvania to protest at the Capitol, believing it would be peaceful and was stoked up by Trump's words in the ellipse and the intensity of it all until he was feeling his pent up frustration turn to rage. He was swept along in the moment and admitted in the interview that the violence likely harmed their cause. But he also said, I think the elected officials need to stop minimizing the concerns of the millions of people who voted for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is just the mouthpiece for what we are feeling. Don't look at him. Don't look at it as him inciting us, he said. Look at it as him being the person who's vocalizing our frustrations and concerns. This is so real. I find myself getting caught up in my own frustration and anger when I hear the things Trump says that I forget. It's a cycle. He's popular because those things in, that infuriate and horrify me, those same things validate others. He gives permission for people to dehumanize and terrorize, but that proclivity has always been there all the way back from our colonial beginnings. In an article The Nation called Madness on Capitol Hill, I read the quote that just blew me away. This is not America, a woman said to a small group, her voice shaking. She was crying, hysterical. They're shooting at us. They're supposed to shoot BLM, but they're shooting the Patriots. A man, possibly her husband, comforted her don't worry, honey, we showed them today. We showed them what we're all about. It's so easy to just shake our heads and say, what the? But the people saying and doing those things aren't just two-dimensional people who stand against everything I stand for. They believe deeply and fully that democracy is going to be destroyed by our incoming administration and those who support them. Just as I believe deeply and fully that democracy is going to be destroyed by them. What do we do when both sides are separated by such a wide chasm and are convinced they're right? What do we do when we hold such widely disparate understandings of the ideals of our nation? That's where my head is right now. So for now, I'm holding on to the voices of hope and encouragement that have always been there. 
that have been there throughout our history, pushing and pushing and lifting up for a nation that values freedom and dignity and justice, witnessing how they continue, how they continue taking inspiration from them. Like Stacey Abrams, the black organizer from Georgia who's worked so tirelessly to continue the momentum of bringing historically marginalized voices into political power. She tweeted on Wednesday, while today's terrible display of terror and meanness shakes us, let's remember John Ossoff, Jewish son of an immigrant, and Reverend Raphael Warnock, the first black senator from Georgia, will join a Catholic POTUS and the first woman black and Indian VP in our nation's capital. And like Reverend Warnock, who said in his Wednesday acceptance speech, because this is America, the 82-year-old hands that used to pick someone else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a United States Senator. And the Reverend Teresa Soto, who writes poetry of resistance and resilience. Beneath the ash, we find ember. Can you feel that, even just the beginnings of it maybe? It doesn't escape my notice that all of the people so far that I have quoted are people of marginalized communities. The resilience that I seek has had to be part of their lives for generations. So as I slowly begin to move out of my initial fear and anger and grief, I think about this term, remembering the future. Today's service was going to be about what it means to use our imaginations to begin to create the post-COVID world. And I was gonna offer this term and this poem as a jumping off point. I'm not ready for that, <laughs> but we'll still do that imagining together, just not until the beginning of February. And we'll offer this poem again then when our frame has started maybe to shift a little bit. To me, for now, in this moment, the key question is this one. Can we commit to building the community that will extend into a time that we only know by memory because it will outlast us? That's packed full, let me say it again. Can we commit to building the community that will extend into a time that we only know by memory because it will outlast us. Reverend Teresa is talking about imagining healing far into the future by remembering what it's like to feel whole. They're talking about using that memory to recreate, to co-create a vision of wholeness that can guide us into beloved community. I'm looking forward to delving into that, but I wanna plant the seed now. Parker Palmer wrote these words in his book, Healing the Heart of Democracy, the courage to create a politics worthy of the human spirit. Our differences may be deep, 
What breaks my heart about America make, may make your heart sing and vice versa. Protecting our right to disagree is one of democracy's gifts and converting this inevitable tension into creative gene energy is part of democracy's genius. You and I may disagree profoundly on what constitutes a political failure or success, but we can still agree on this. Democracy is always at risk. Government of the people, by the people, and for the people is a nonstop experiment in the strength and weakness of our political institutions, our local communities and associations, and the human heart. Its outcome can never be taken for granted. The democratic experiment is endless unless we blow up the lab and the explosives to do the job are found within us. But it is also, but also, is the heart's alchemy that can turn suffering into community, conflict into the energy of creativity, and tension into an opening toward the common good. I saw evidence in the possibility of this in the words of two of the top Republicans on Wednesday night. After the Capitol building was secured that evening, Congress members returned to their chamber to finish their task, and they stayed there until 3.30 on Thursday morning. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who I never thought I would quote, reopened the session with these words. The United States Senate will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, <laughs> thugs, mobs, or threats. We will not bow to lawlessness or intimidation. We are back at our posts, and we're going to do it tonight. And Vice President Mike Pence said, to those who wreaked havoc today, you did not win. Violence never wins. Freedom wins. And this is still the people's house. As we reconvene, the world will again witness the resilience of our democracy. There is healing to do. So much healing by individuals and by the entirety of the system that has been inequitable from its beginning and has been further abused by our most recent president. Healing for all of us, regardless of what side of that huge chasm we are on, and even those of us who have been sucked into its gaping pit. I don't know how that will happen. It feels too soon to try to imagine that together today. So for now, I'll close with a verse of Langston Hughes's famous poem that he wrote in 1935. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again.
May it be so, my friends, and may we be so.